So we got we got a message in from Brad. Um, so Brad says, hey, love the videos. Just a small request as a new bagpiper. I would love it if you all would cover what a typical practice would look like as a newbie on the pipes, like how to structure your practice between the chanter and the full bagpipes as a beginner. Thank you. And thanks for writing in, Brad. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brad. You tell me, um, Andrew, like as I read this and was thinking about it myself, almost every time I came up with like a hard and fast rule, like, okay, it should be 80% and 20%, or it should be all this or all that or every other or whatever. Every time I came up with like, here's a rule for it, I immediately just had tons of caveats and exceptions jumping into my mind as well, you know? Mm -hmm. And so then I thought, well, okay, maybe it's more like, maybe we could model one or two or even three versions of what a decent practice session could look like. Because by so doing, we would go across like, here's some tools, here's some ideas, and then the beginner themselves. Because sometimes as a beginner, what you just need is for somebody to say, here, do this for 20 minutes, and then they get to try it, you know? And then you start figuring out like, okay, this is what I need. This is what works for me. But what do you think? Okay. It would be interesting to know exactly where Brad is in the process. But what I would do, um, which we lay out in extreme detail in our transition to the bagpipes course at the dojo, Man, we do, we've done a lot of good courses, but transitioning to the pipes course has got to be close to number one. Mm. But I digress. It's a pivotal uh, moment for any piper, for sure. Yeah. So what I would do is I would, uh, I would start learning the full bagpipes fairly early in the process. Okay. So like, mm. you know, um, pretty early. But I would start with uh, the important thing. So the step one for any bagpiper Okay, before we even pick the instrument up and play it, uh, would be to completely deconstruct the instrument and put it back together, right? Oh, so especially uh, on the assumption, especially on the assumption that Brad is an adult, right? With kids, it's a little mm-hmm. different. Like I'm just picturing yeah. if my uh, if my eight year old were to learn the pipes, I don't, I'm not, I might just do a lot of stuff for her uh, at sure. first because they're like kids. Right. But if you're an adult, right, absolutely. What I'd recommend is complete disassembly of the instrument uh, and then reconstructing it. And what I mean from that is that we're going to all the factory hemp that comes from the factory and so on. And even if somebody, even if my uh, merchant um, added new hemp for me and helped me set up the pipes, unless you do it yourself, you should tear it all off and do it again for yourself. Uh, Because we need to get comfortable with the instrument. We need to learn some of these basic hemping skills and these basic maintenance skills. These are like non-negotiable skills that we're going to need. So let's learn them right away from square one. So we'll learn how to hemp the instrument, get it put together. Now, don't mistake me. I definitely recommend having a mentor nearby to help you with this process. Um, you can mm-hmm. use the, the online course if you really don't have anybody. But, you know, uh, if you do have a friend with experience helping you know, teach you how to hemp those joints from the beginning, that would be a really good thing. But that would be the first thing I would want to do. And then if you're ballsy enough, for lack of a better word, I would also take the bag off and retie in the stocks again. That's a little ballsy though. Like that's a negotiable one, but man, I would love to do that with some folks just so that they're familiar with that process. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, like if I could guide them, that's the first thing that they would do. Now, does, does that fit into a practice session? It's like, no, not really. That's sort of a project that might go on for five or six days or something like that. 
uh, probably in conjunction with practice chanter sessions. But that's the very first thing on my list, right? That's the first bagpiping skill we need. It's, uh, it's kind of a skill combined with a mindset. It's like we need to have the skill of hemping and rehemping joints and kind of like learning and just getting comfortable working with that string. Uh, but then also we need to develop the mindset that we can make changes to our instrument and yeah. they're going to be effective and they're not going to hurt anything. So that, that fear of making a change to your instrument uh, is something that we want to address like right at the very beginning. So that is the first step of being a real bagpiper is uh, certainly de-hemping and re-hemping it all. So that's I have the first thing before, I would do. Like, how many miles of, of unwaxed yellow hemp gets used in a year simply to ship bagpipes because as soon as those pipes arrive it comes right off you know yeah there's a Um, lot of folklore there's a lot of folklore and who knows like i just uh it just so does not compute for me but uh there's a lot of people that use unwaxed hemp especially in scotland it's like i don't understand it but uh some very very excellent players do it it's weird like maybe i need to try it but i just never quite have the time to try it because it's always like it's always like I'm practicing my pipes for a specific purpose and I don't want to slow down the process for several months to test this theory that unwaxed hemp can somehow work. In my experience, unwaxed hemp just soaks up moisture, swells up, uh, and like, you know, uh, everything gets stuck and it's like totally not yeah. workable. But, but maybe I, you know, and in, in all fairness, I have not sat down to actually consider and learn like the exact process. There's some people that use half waxed, half unwaxed. There's combinations mm-hmm. of black wax and beeswax and all that stuff. And like, hmm, I don't know. I just, um, it, it would require experimentation for me to get there. But I think that's why. I think that's why they ship them without waxed hemp and do the unwax is because some people really don't like wax. And then some people swear on their life that if you use paraffin wax, you're going to hell instead of the real beeswax. So I think what they do, I think what, I think what manufacturers do is they just stay out of it and they just give you like a quick unwaxed layer of hemp. Okay. Well, how about wherever any viewer or listener is, is consuming this media, um, get in the comments or whatever the equivalent yeah. is and let's get, let's get some serious fights going team, team wax, team, no wax, team, team yeah. beeswax, et cetera. Let's, uh, let's fight it out. Yeah. Uh, just um, so, so you then, know, you, oh. just, uh, just to take this, uh, lighthearted discussion, uh, and just tie it up in a little bow, just so you know, the Piper's dojo definitely officially recommends pre waxed hemp especially for beginners and intermediates, right? Just so like, we know where you stand. Yep. I might be going to hell, but yeah. And it's true. I think they use paraffin, not beeswax, but mm. that's definitely mm. what, uh, what we recommend there. It could, that's, I mean, I'm probably going to hell anyway, but, uh, it's for so many reasons, but this is among them. Yeah. <laughs> but this is just like cherry on top. Yeah. <laughs> you know is what it else? They use paraffin wax. It, yeah, is it St. Peter that decides? Yeah. And it's like yeah, hmm, I, I, the odds that he, he the odds that he's a piper are are pretty slim, right? So I might still be okay. 
I don't know. Pete, Peter Piper sounds kind of kind of just right. Maybe maybe. Jeez, now I'm getting nervous. All right, where um, were we? So so once you got the what pipes set are we up, even talking let's, about you know next 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 session after the pipes are all set ah, up. Um, yeah. What what am I doing? Am I sitting down to do 20 minutes of finger work and then 10 minutes of droning? Do I? Uh, good guess, but no. So we're still so we've just gotten comfortable kind of rebuilding the whole instrument. Now the next step in the process is learning the basics of bagpipe air tightness. Mm-hmm. That would be the next thing. So you'll notice that we're still not doing any bagpipe playing yet. By the way, I don't want to discourage anybody from just like whipping out those bagpipes and, you know, horsing around, having a good time, trying to make some noise. This is just like the official actual practice trajectory. Like it's not necessarily glamorous. I don't want to deter anyone from getting, you know, just whipping out a few tunes on those, even with the unwaxed temp from the factory. Like that's all fair game. But what we're talking about actual practice, okay, we're still doing most of our stuff on the practice chanter. But now, uh, you know, with some additional time, we're going through the basics of bagpipe air tightness. Like, mm. okay, how do you test for whether or not your bagpipe is, or your bag rather, how do you test whether or not that's airtight? Well, you're going to cork up those joints and you're going to blow it up as tight as you can and you're going to see if it holds air. And then you're going to pray that it holds air because if it doesn't, especially as a beginning bagpiper, you know, it can be tough to know what to do about that. You know, most beginners begin with a synthetic bag. So uh, the synthetic bag should perfectly hold air right away. If it doesn't, there's a couple things you could look at, like the flapper valve, okay? Uh, the joint between the blowpipe and the stock, you got to make sure that's nice and tight. It takes a little bit of muscle to get it out. And then just if it has a zipper, you want to make sure that zipper is properly lubricated because air will leak out of it like that. But, you know, uh, next thing I'd practice is getting that bag super airtight, just like a football, and never settling for any air leaking out of it. Uh, and from that's, there, that's you know, like, once, yep, go like ahead, Jim drones, at, drones out and corks into the stocks, right? We're not talking about small Correct. corks at the top of the drones. We're like down to just bag and stocks. Yep. Uh, and then if anyone is, uh, legitimately curious transitioning to the bag pipes course at the dojo, which is included in a basic or a premium membership, I think, uh, anyway, that'll give you like extreme detail. Carl and I take you through it. Um, so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but then from there, once the bag is airtight, we would be doing other things like uh, assembling the instrument, completely corking up all the drones and just evaluating our basic posture, getting those bagpipes to fit our body. You know, notice we're not doing any playing yet. We're just kind of getting things set up and we're getting those prerequisite little bits of knowledge in place. Um, uh, and then once the posture is the way we like it, then Jim, what I would do is begin practicing uh, a, you know, a few different bagpipe skills and ideas with just one drone going. That would be the next now, step. Uh, and things for that posture step, forward from there. Do you, you've got the drones in now, and then we do put the small corks in the top of the drones. Do you cork off your chanter stock or do you put tape over Correct. the whole of your chanter and or, put the chanter in? Yeah, exactly. That's what we would do. So we'd put tape over the whole of the chanter so that the chanter can go in as well because we do want to hold our hands on the chanter mm-hmm. uh, and no air will be escaping the instrument so you just blow it up tight and it forms the bagpipe shape and then we just see how that shape is going to interact with our body it's a you know it's a really kind of cool step and you can sort of get things comfortable you can evaluate what the proper length of your blowpipe is etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm. get all of that adjusted that the way that you need to 
And this is where having a, there, a, an, an experienced buddy can be helpful because they can say, oh, okay, you're too low here, you're too high there. Also, having a mirror handy mm-hmm. can be very helpful because then you can turn and check your posture, all that kind of stuff. Exactly right. Right you are, and Ken. And so then from there. What, what show was that from? Right you are, like Ken. Show... I feel like that's like one of the Anchorman shows or um, Evan Almighty well, or something like that. No, it's from the show where the people do the weird obstacle course and always fall in the mud. Most oh, extreme elimination challenge. Oh, yeah, that's challenge. right. Um, was it, it was, was it MXC or was it a – what was that other one with the Wipeout, right, was the other one? Well, Wipeout MXC is was like my the... favorite of the two, though. Well, yeah, and Wipeout was was just a cheesy derivative of the original. Not nearly as good was, because MXC had yeah. the the dubbed over commentary, which was the yes. funniest part. So. And and just like yeah, mildly racially inappropriate, I think too. Sometimes extremely, <laughs> not always, just mildly. <laughs> right, uh, it always felt somehow wrong, but but right as well while you're but it was on tv so it must have been okay right shows. yeah exactly exactly they put it on tv so it's not my fault okay uh, so uh where, so where are we? once you've got your pipe set up you've watched a couple episodes of mxc now it's time to like hit the timer here's what i'm doing today um probably still learning some of the common marches and stuff like that so do i drop my practice chanter entirely now and spend all my time on my no. new pipes no nope so good question. So you're still doing like I'm I'm picturing this in the perfect world, right? Uh my student is still learning basic melody and rhythm and starting to learn a few of the essential but totally simplified classic bagpipe tunes. You know, like let's learn the mm-hmm. simplified version of Scott and the Brave and Rowan Tree. And that sort of stuff is happening. And at the same time, we're starting to learn the basics of the bagpipes now. Uh so uh, any dojo nerds out there, this would be while my student is in chapter three of the tutor, we are also beginning the process of the full bagpipes at this stage. And remember, like you, you listeners out there, you, you've already heard what we're doing. We're not, you know, we're not trying to, you know, play a full P-Rock right now. We're just like, we're starting to integrate the basics. But yeah, it would still be 80% practice chanter, 20% bagpipe basics at this stage, Right. Uh, and then the same goes when we open up that one drone after the posture stage. We open up one drone. We start to learn about drone reads. We start to learn about the art of steady blowing and uh, and and getting that uh, cycle nice and smooth. We might even introduce the manometer for a visual about steady blowing, you know, or maybe not. Kind of like up to you, but that's what we're going to be doing. We're just going to be working on the art of playing with one drone for a while. And again, I would say it's still eighty twenty practice chanter to horsing around on the pipes. And hey, if you're having a blast, you could go 60-40. It's fine, you know, but we're still doing a lot of practice chanter stuff while we get the pipes integrated, okay? Uh, and then I'll just carry forward from- Which bring in first? Yeah. Sorry, uh, outside which, which tenor drone? usually. Oh, okay. Outside tenor usually. Uh, it could be middle tenor though. It doesn't really matter. But yeah, I usually go with the outside tenor first, okay? And then, um, you know, there's a variety of exercises and things we can do to get familiar with mm-hmm. that okay so we're still 80 20 next thing we're going to do is we're going to open up a second drone okay uh and we're going to start to practice tuning of two drones together is going to be sort of like the primary thing we're going to start to practice notice there's no pipe chanter in the mix at all yet so we're just gonna you know bring those uh two drones into tune i recommend starting with two tenors at first because they're yeah. two of the exact same pitches Right. And then uh, once you get comfortable with that, 
you might go with the bass drone as well because the bass drone is trickier to tune to a tenor than a tenor is to a tenor. So, uh, you know, we would do the bass and tenor, yeah. But I would spend quite a bit of time just horsing around with those two drones. If you're a member of a band, it's actually pretty fun and cool to start doing attacks and marching and stops Mm -hmm. with your pipe band, even though there's no reed in the chanter yet. It's just a For great sure, yeah. way to get uh, to get a jump start, to get those juices and those excitements flowing. And you can learn how to march and counter march and learn how to like little details that pipers have to learn. Like when do you have to stop blowing into your instrument in mm. order to get a nice clean cutoff at the end and, and stuff like that. So, uh, so well, that is what I would be doing. Season. And again, maybe you can even jump ahead, in, in on parades sometimes, you know, you want to make sure you can do the cutoffs and stuff well enough, but I think in a lot of cases mm-hmm. there's no problem sticking a droner into the middle of the into the middle of the mix. Yep, I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you there. I think some bands might find that to be like cheesy or cheating or just not right to send a beginner out without actually having a chanter in. And that's up to you, but I love the idea. Like let's get them out there and get some preliminary experience, you know, get them not afraid of being out there in a parade you know if people are up for it absolutely go for it especially kids you know just now, get Andrew, them out there like uh yeah as you're bringing those drones in together do you go would you go one tenor then two tenors to, to, tuned together and then two tenors with the bass or would you go back to a single no. tenor with the bass back so to a single one, tenor with two, the bass. good question two and then and then similarly, yeah. when the chanter starts coming in, do you dial back the drones again, or do you try to go full drones and chanter? Yeah, we're always introducing the fewest possible number of variables every time we introduce a new step. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, exactly right. So we would only do bass to one tenor. As a matter of fact, uh, we don't uh, talk about the third drone at all in the tra- transition to the bagpipes course, except for maybe mm-hmm. at the very end, where we just mentioned that, like, by the way, all you got to do is open up that third drone now and you know everything you need to know and you're going to be fine. But working with two drones is very good to do uh, for a long time. And the bagpipe still, the bagpipe sounds like 97% of an amazing bagpipe with just two drones going. Like that third drone yeah. is, is definitely very negotiable. It's kind of a new so, addition anyway. So you're just playing a real bagpipe in some ways to go back to two. Um, that's right. And so um, I see what you tried to do there. I'm not biting on it. You tried to take this in a controversial direction. Uh, Fair I'm not enough. So then when it. does the chanter come in? When, and when it does, what are we doing with the chanter? Are we just playing scales, you know, for a while? Or are we just trying to blast out one note for a while? Great, great question. Uh, the chanter comes in later. Like, so now that we're comfortable with all the two drones, what we're going to do now next uh, is we're going to shut off all the drones and just horse around with the chanter element. Because, see, you'll notice now we're already familiar with the basic concept of blowing the instrument, of it being airtight. Uh, we have the blowing cycle. We have quite a bit of practice with that already. So, and, and we're comfortable with how the bagpipes should feel under our arms, and it's not like this big overwhelming thing. So now would be a good time to just t- put the... Ch- now would be a good time to do what I did first on the pipes. 
like when I first mm-hmm. got on the pipes, we corked off everything and I started to try and play stuff on the chanter, which luckily for me worked out. But I think that would be very overwhelming. But now it'll be significantly less overwhelming uh, in the sense that we've, we have quite a bit of experience. We're, we're comfortable with the basic ideas of the instrument. Now, okay, we can start to play the chanter. And exactly to your point, Jim, I would start with the fewest possible variables. That's sort of the guiding principle through the whole thing. So you're going to start by just playing low A and just sustaining it. And you will find that it's no big deal, especially if you've picked the correct strength chanteried for you using the Scott and the Brave test. You'll find that sustaining a low A on the chanter for a while is no big deal. And then we will proceed to play uh, the scale with big, long notes. Then you might proceed to playing a very easy tune, like the easiest tune you could possibly think of. And then gradually over time, you're going to start to work the material that you're working on on practice chanter on to the chanter in the pipes, right? Um, And that would be what you would do for a while during your practice sessions. You know, so it, maybe at that point, maybe now we're 50% practice chanter, 50% pipes, something like that. And then the next step would be, I don't know if you can intuitively guess what it would be out there in the audience, but the next step would be now to reintroduce the drones with the chanter. And we would start with just one tenor drone with the chanter would come next. And um, there's a lot of skills uh, that you kind of have to become familiar with at that stage tuning the one drone to the chanter and learning, learning about just the basic concepts of bagpipe tuning there. So that one drone with the chanter will take a while, but then you'll add in the second drone. You already have the skills to deal with it. Uh, and then you are rocking and rolling folks. There you go. Two drones with the chanter, you'll be set. And then, you know, one of those days you're going to be unable to resist the temptation to open up that third drone. And you'll say, Oh, I can do this. Uh, and then you're off to the races. But that's basically how I would structure it. And it would be structured over several months of practice. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah, probably not. You're probably not going to go from one practice session on Monday with just a tenor drone. And then by Wednesday, be on two drones in your chanter, right? You probably do each one of right, these things exactly. will probably spread across a few. Yeah. yeah. And a good teacher can help you pace all of that out. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, now that I've said it out loud, it is something we could probably distill in a basic document or something, but yeah, the, the idea there is, is that we're sort of, uh, integrating the bagpipe one step at a time alongside the development work that we're doing on the practice chanter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it seems like idea. for a lot of us, the idea has been. Once you've learned all your embellishments and can play the six standard uh, um, common marches on your practice chanter, then you're allowed to touch a set of bagpipes. And that can just be a really long time before you're actually getting to do the thing that you want to do. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, Exactly. And then we can start to touch a bagpipe very early in the process, uh, especially given that Step one is just learning how to do hemp stuff. Like you could even yeah. have a quote unquote beater set hanging around your pipe band, you know, uh, just for that specific phase, everybody can just, t- they might not even have ordered their bagpipes yet, but you can practice mm-hmm. the art of rehemping stuff ahead of time. And then people are going to be excited about that. People want to feel that they're moving forward. This really weird, bizarre, totally arbitrary 
firewall or something. What would you call it? This huge bottleneck. That's right. It's like, oh, you got to learn all six tunes with all the embellishments. And it has to be to the standard. You know, you have to perform them in front of the pipe major or or your teacher has to yeah. agree that they're to the prove appropriate standard worthy. before you can even prove that you're worthy before you even get on the pipes. Like, that's not smart. Okay. Yeah. For some people, they're not going to get the spark until after they've played the full pipes. Like, they're not going to get that real spark that sends them on that exponentially kick-ass trajectory forever until they feel the power of the full instrument under their arm. So we want to get them to that point as soon as reasonably possible and not to be weird perfectionist dogmatists about the process. Mm -hmm. And just because you did it that way and were successful does not mean that's how everybody has to do it. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Uh, um, we, we need to be a little bit smarter and a little bit cleverer about this um, so that we can get more people into the fold. Now, looking kind of at Brad's question too, just like as, as the Piper progresses, just kind of finishing note here, um, it, you know, let's say I've got to the point where like I'm, I am playing my chanter with maybe two drones. Maybe sometimes I open the third when I get tired, I close it back up, something like that. You know, like I'm kind of getting into it now. Is there any point third drone at shouldn't, which... Just uh, time out. The third yeah, drone, if your pipes are set up properly, the third drone will not take up significantly more energy. Ah, it wouldn't be that big a deal. I see. Um, so, but is there any point at which I w am going to say, all right, I'm far enough into this that like, I'm going to go two weeks without touching my practice chanter and do everything on the pipes. Um, so that I build up my endurance, so I get more used to it. I'm going to force myself to do that. Or is that never a good idea? Should it always be a mix of practice chanter and Highland Pipes? Um, I wouldn't say it's never a good idea. Getting yourself into shape is, you know, you know like doing like a two-week cold turkey sort of thing. Mm -hmm. If approached intelligently, that sounds like something that might be cool to do once or twice. Um, but the practice chanter is a really cool tool because it reduces the amount of bandwidth that we need to apply uh, <clears throat> to work on elements of our finger work. So the, the practice chanter is always a great tool for that. <coughs> and especially as a beginner or as an intermediate, like you're going to really want that kind of, of practice. If you, only, if, you know, if you shift to just basically playing your full pipes all the time, you're going to have trouble developing your finger work at, at, the, uh, at the rate and to the quality that you want. I'm thinking. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of us get this idea in our head that because we started with the practice chanter, we want to get beyond it. And it feels like um, that was elementary school. I'm in high school now, right? And so we can feel like, well, I want to shed that and leave it behind, especially when we're in our first year or two of playing. And we need to realize like, no, this is a thing that you will have with you forever. Love it forever because yeah. you're always going to want it. You're always going to need to use it, right? Yep. I, I, I totally hear that. So uh, a, a practice session for me, the model that I would that I use is very similar to the mm -hmm. model that the band itself uses. By the way, when we when I go to a band practice as well, but uh, <clears throat> it goes like this: I get my minimally viable playing on the full bagpipes out of the way first, right? So what mm -hmm. I'll do is I'll get the pipes out. They're not going to be settled yet because bagpipes take a while to kind of acclimatize and settle and and become tame. So in that first few minutes, I'm just playing a few tunes. Uh, you know, doing a couple things I know I got to do, running through a couple of reps, getting the pipes going, getting them basically in tune, but, uh, but not super locked in yet because I know it's going to take a while before they're settled. I do that for about five to 10 minutes. 
Then I put the pipes down, okay? And during, uh, and, and by putting them down, I'm going to let them acclimatize and, and just kind of settle out, let the cane reeds, uh, whether it's just the cane chanter reed or I have a cane drone reeds in right now, we kind of want, want to let them marinate and soak in some of those uh, moist juices that we just yeah. put in in the first five to ten minutes. Not really. It's just it's just humidity. Kinda, that's all. Uh, no, no, no. The the, the uh, myth that bagpipe moisture is spit is not exactly correct. Don't get me wrong. There's probably plenty of bacteria in there and fun stuff. But anyway, uh, we're going to let the bagpipe marinate. But then during that time, that 10 to 15 minutes, that's when I grab the practice chanter and I do finger work specific work. You know, like right mm. now I'm preparing to play in the band. So I'll be playing along with band recordings. I'll be working on little sticky spots. I'll be working on little spots where I have a tendency to make note errors if I'm not careful and just working that out. And then 10 to 15 minutes later, I'll go over to the bagpipes and I'll play the pipes uh, with a little bit, well, with considerably more attention to the sound of the pipes and, and the, whether or not they're locked in and really well tuned. But then I'll do some, uh, some practice on the pipes for about 10, 15 minutes. And then mm-hmm. that's me for the day. That's, my, that's what my practice session looks like. And you'll notice it takes about you know, 30 minutes when I'm not in the mood and it can go up to an hour if I'm feeling it. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you'll notice and it represents about 20, 25 minutes of playtime on the pipes. And then that's that. Now, granted, that'll be different if you're a long range P-Rock player. It's going to be a little different. You're going to play considerably longer because you have P-Rocks to get through and what have you. But, but anyway, that basic trajectory, that could work well for a beginner or an intermediate, I'm thinking as well. Mm-hmm. Play a couple tunes on the full pipes. Then sit them, set them down, let them marinate while you do some of your practice chanter work. And then uh, when you're done, you go back to the pipes and you do some of your, you know, you do some of your marrying between the bagpipes and the practice chanter. Like some of the new tunes mm-hmm. you've been working on, maybe give them a go on the pipes for a few minutes. Um, and then that'll be good. Hey, everybody. Andrew Douglas here from the Piper's Dojo, and I just want to say thanks so much for listening to today's iteration of the podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard here today, it would be super helpful to us and to a lot of bagpipers out there trying to find us. If you could give us a top-notch review on whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, particularly Apple, iTunes, and Spotify, and things like that, your review would be really, really helpful. So if you have a moment today, definitely go over there and help us out. Other than that, until we meet again on the podcast or somewhere else, thanks again for listening.